Welcome into the Fog.net podcast. Scott Chasen alongside Michael Swain, Kansas.247sports.com. Here to talk all things KU football heading into the bye week. Uh, obviously, you know, KU basketball media day is coming up this week. So uh, I, I'm guessing we'll, we'll start to get basketball heavy pretty soon as we get into the season. But this was a, this was a good opportunity to talk uh, KU football given that, you know, KU has reached the, the midway point of the season um, under David Beatty. David Beatty survived, first of all, the, the first half of the season, which was not always a given. Um, the, the team is now 2-4, and four, coming off a loss to West Virginia, 0-3 in Big 12 play, which obviously is, is much like the last few years. I believe KU is now 1-29 uh, in, uh, in Big 12 games under David Beatty. So uh, a lot has not maybe gone necessarily to plan for the KU football team. I think there's also been uh, some signs of, of some growth and some signs of things going well. So that's what we're here to talk about today and break down. We'll talk a little bit about the game against West Virginia, mostly our grades. But for the most part, this this will be a podcast about David Beatty and, and how he's kind of arrived at the the midway point of his fourth season uh, and still the head coach. So, uh, Swain, I'll, ju- I'll just start with you. I mean, the most recent comment coming from the Lawrence Journal World, Tom Keegan caught up with Jeff Long in Morgantown. And uh, Jeff Long didn't say beyond a shadow of a doubt that David Beatty would be back, but he did seem to suggest uh, in his comments that – David Beatty will at least get the chance to uh, kind of finish out the season, he, uh, season here. Um, what are your general thoughts on that, and and where, where are you kind of at with, with, I guess, Beatty as a whole right now? Sure. I think the biggest takeaway I'll say from the game was just how fired up he was. But talking about Beatty as a whole and Jeff Long's comments specifically, Jeff Long's not the type of athletic director that's going to go out and tear everything down during the season while, you know, Coaches still trying to coach, still trying to recruit and do a lot of things. I thought that the only way that Beatty would be let go after the game yesterday would have been if it would just have been just a crapshoot. Like if they had looked like they did against Oklahoma State where the secondary just gets picked apart, the offense doesn't get anything going. I thought that that would have been a time where maybe it would have been appropriate to let David Beatty go. But I'm not surprised by Jeff Long's comments at all, also, just from the, his track record. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just so you guys have the comments, what he told Keegan, first of all, David's our football coach. I'm not going to comment game by game. He's our football coach. And then he also made a kind of a more general statement in support of Beatty saying, you know, we got a couple wins there, one back-to-back games, which is something we hadn't done here in a while. We're halfway through and we made it to the bye week. We'll get some people back healthy and then see how we finish the second half of the season. So... Presumably, he's referring to a few guys like uh, Miles Kendrick was was available for this game. Ricky Thomas, they're hoping uh, to get back after the bye week. Although I believe he could still redshirt, uh, and I believe he's a sophomore, so uh, that that might be a you know an option worth pursuing. Uh, that being said, Beatty's five and thirty seven now um, in his in his three and a half years. I guess it's been three and a half. Not I might have said four and a half earlier, but midway through season four, three and a half years. Um, Charlie Weiss and Turner Gill, the two coaches in the post-Mangino era, each got two years, Beatty getting, uh, I guess Weiss got two and a half years, so Beatty's getting a little bit more than that. And I I think the fact that he's getting the chance to play out the season, honestly, my first impression was that Jeff Long is not concerned about 
maybe the recruiting right now, because if he's going to get the chance to play that out, that'll take him right up to signing day, right? Or or early signing day, that early signing period, I guess I should say. So um, David Beatty getting a chance to kind of manage that and and see if he can fill out a recruiting class is, is somewhat of a vote of confidence considering, you know, KU is down to two recruits in the class. By the time you listen to this, it might be one. Um, it, it kind of depends on Clay Cundiff, whether or not he chooses to flip to Wisconsin. We were in contact earlier today, so I'll let you guys know when, when we have an update there. But he was one of KU's two commits. He was their highest rated commit. Uh, very talented tight end wide receiver type uh, out of the state of Kansas. And uh, Wisconsin kind of swooped in. He had already committed to KU, and they, they just asked him if he was interested. And he told me that you know he was going to go up there, and they were going to ask him to make a decision. And he was going to try and figure things out from there. So he's been up on campus there this weekend. Um, so, so that was a big takeaway for me was that, you know, Jeff Long was kind of putting his faith in David Beatty to fill out an early recruiting class. Now, KU can't take a ton of kids because of, uh, the way the class is divided up. I think it might only be in the 15 ish range, maybe a little bit less than that, that they can take, uh, you know, so you don't necessarily need 20 guys committed early, but still, um, KU is going to have a lot of holes to fill. You're losing, you know, basically your top two wide receivers, maybe top three, uh, you're definitely losing pieces on defense and Daniel Wise, uh, Joe Deneen, obviously. So, uh, and, and you're not going to bring in freshmen to fill all these roles, but these are roles you're going to lose. You know, uh, Shaq Taylor, another, you know, in the secondary you're going to be losing. So you're going to need to be making sure that that you know what, what losses you're going to have. Offensive line is going to be a huge one. Uh, losing, you know, basically Alex Fontana. Hakeem Adenogy, I guess, will stick around. So you'll still have some of that and, and feeder. So you'll have your, you'll keep your tackles. But um, there are going to be a lot of pieces that need to be replaced. So this recruiting class, I think, is is really, really, uh, really important to get right. And I think it, it says something that they're trusting David Beatty to do that. Uh, as for the surprise element, I wasn't really surprised. I did think going into the day that it was a strong possibility. But I actually thought, I, I thought. They showed a lot of progress against West Virginia. I, I'm most I'm most interested in the idea that David Beatty coached that game like he knew his job was on the line. I'm not saying he did, not saying he didn't, but uh, the the fourth down risks, the aggressive play calling. I mean, that was completely atypical of Beatty. That was something he he has done. Uh, it was just something completely different than than what he has done in his kind of three and a half year tenure at the university. So for for that to happen, especially early, going for it twice in the first quarter. That was almost like a, this is the last game of the season type game or like a Super Bowl type, you know, where you throw everything out and you just say, we're going to run every trick play we've got. And and so I, I don't know how uh, that came to be. He just said there were things on film they identified about West Virginia that made them a possibility. But, you know, part of me wonders if there wasn't a little bit uh, more in play there. Uh, did you have any, any thoughts on that and, and what you saw against West Virginia with regard to whether or not he was coaching a specific way? I was genuinely surprised in that first drive when they went forward on fourth down. It's kind of been your own Twitter soapbox that you stand on. And, you know, a lot of times of, you know, they should be going forward on fourth down in certain situations. And the, the mantra of this David Beatty era has been fourth down. Okay. Call a timeout and we'll punt. Like that is just what it has been. And it was so crazy, honestly, for me to see that, that aggressive mentality from the start. Usually they're down by two or three scores and that's when the aggressive mentality comes out. So it was really interesting to see it from the start of the game and really throughout the entire game. Going for it on fourth downs, the fake punt, um, God, even more trick plays, uh, Puka Williams out of the Wildcat. I thought they pulled out all the stops for the game. And I thought that it says a lot about, I think, that David Beatty is realizing, okay, we got to get kick this into high gear now. 
Yeah, whether or not he was coaching for his job, whether or not he even felt like he was coaching for his job, it did show at least somewhat of an aggressive mindset that we haven't seen. And there was a double pass in there too. Uh, yeah. Steven Sims and Carter Stanley running out that uh, that kind of trick play and, and some jet sweep stuff as, as usual in the fake pun. And uh, the first fourth down conversion was kind of messed up. Carter Stanley was trying to pull the ball back from, from Puka Williams. And I guess Puka Williams' glove got caught on the ball. That's what Stanley said after the game. Uh, so they weren't able to complete the handoff, but... Uh, Stanley seemed to think if he had pulled it back, he would have had it. Beatty said after the game that if he had handed it off to Williams, they would have got the first down. That wasn't the case. Williams got tackled well short of the first down. I think he was a little bit confused there just trying to – because there was a lot going on in that game, and he said that afterward. He said, you know, you mentioned it, uh, Swain, the the sideline was crazy. Um, David Beatty was as passionate, as emotional as I think we've ever seen. Um, In-game coaching, at least, there were a couple gifts that that, – that ran around Twitter of, of maybe him uh, screaming into some headsets or dropping some profanities or, or whatnot. So uh, I think he definitely looked fired up and, and, and KU definitely matched it with an aggressive mindset and aggressive, uh, you know, style of play and, and everything. So big picture on the season now uh, in, in the year four, I think there are definite signs of progress. I mean, I think the last, you know, the Baylor game, a 26 to seven loss, that's the type of game they would have lost forty to seven, you know, two years ago, and so it's, it's baby steps. But this West Virginia, excuse me, this West Virginia game, uh, they could have absolutely uh, won this game. It was a seven point game in the third quarter, um, and if they get that Hassan defense third interception, which it, it, there's something to be said that every FBS win K has had, they've had six turnovers, they force six turnovers in, uh, so you can't always rely on that. But that would have been number five uh, right there if. They had, uh, if the call had been an interception, I actually think he did pick it off, but hard to say that, that, K, you know, K was screwed or, or the refs did anything when there's just no definitive angle whatsoever of the play. And you can't tell if the ball hit the ground or not. So you're, it, you know, we're all just kind of guessing at it, If it had been called an interception. I, I feel like it would have stood as an interception and it was just called incomplete. So it was, you know, whatever incomplete, but you know, KU gets three red zone interceptions, uh, or two red zone interceptions, maybe all three were in the red zone, and, and really hangs with West Virginia. Um, I thought that kind of showed that, you know, it, with this, I guess the level of talent on the roster, even with injuries to Mike Lee and Ricky Thomas, even with, uh, you know, mistakes, substitution errors, uh, you know, fourth down plays didn't even all work. I think they went one for three maybe on fourth down. Um, e- even with all of that, it, it kind of did show that, you know, they are getting closer. Now the question is, are they getting closer? And is it is this the closest they're going to get, basically? Is this as good as it's going to get for KU? Because obviously that's not good enough. So uh, that, that that's kind of where I'm at with, with Beatty and the staff and everything. I think there are signs of progress. I think this is by far his best team. Uh, but I'm not sure how much better things can get because this, the issues that are, you know, quarterback play is an issue play calling slash, and he's not calling plays right now, but maybe game planning slash uh, orchestrating, you know, drives and using timeouts and fourth down decision-making, still an issue. Uh, Quick decisions, still an issue. So those things have not changed in four years. So I think those are things you look at and say, maybe this isn't the long-term answer, but I do think there are some things that are getting better, generally speaking. Yeah, and I think that when you talk about the progress of the team, I think there's no doubt that this is the best team talent-wise that Beatty's had. It's just what can Beatty do to maximize the talent and you know 
bring everyone together and push them because that's what the coach should do is to take whatever talent you have and make it cohesive and make it so it works. And that's just not what's been happening. And I think that the play calling especially was intriguing. And the fact that, you know, it was a lot of exotic things. And that was one of the criticisms that I at least had against the Baylor game, at least was just that there was so vanilla play calling. Like there were times where it'd be a first and 10 and it'd be everyone in the stadium knows, all right, inside zone to Puka Williams, he's going to try and run it, you know, and there really wasn't much of that. And that was good to see that maybe it's not a learning thing, but just a change in mentality. And I'll be very interested to see what it's like coming out of the bye week. Now that you have two weeks to prepare for Texas tech. I think that that game plan is going to be really interesting with the two weeks off. Yeah, it's, I will say this. Jeff Long's comments make me think David Beatty still has a chance to save his job. And I think Texas Tech, K-State, Texas, Iowa State. And I know Iowa State just won. And Texas, by the way, is ranked and just got a gigantic win over Oklahoma. So maybe these games you were thinking were going to be a little bit easier, not you as in you, Swain, but just in general, the, the general populace would have thought would have been a little bit easier. Maybe they're actually you know, every bit as tough as all the other games, but uh, certainly K-State, uh, there are still some some very winnable games in there. So, you know, if they were to win three more games, close at five, you know, five wins, knowing that they basically blew the Nickel State game, all of a sudden now you start to wonder, you know, would, would that be enough for Beatty to stick around? Would he need to get to six? Would he need to even get to more than that? Or has he reached a point where, you know, every he's kind of done himself in with, you know, a number of factors. So, um that, that's obviously going to be something that we talk about moving forward. What, what do you think are the biggest issues still facing KU? What are the things that uh, David Beatty maybe has worked on over his time, but but still haven't gotten better? The quarterbacks. It's mm-hmm. just been the calling card for this season, at least, that it's just the quarterback carousel. And they did a little segment on it on the broadcast, at least about the different quarterbacks. And they even threw some shade in there, having some Ryan Willis stats up there. Um but I really think that the quarterback is just the biggest issue because if you look at the talent or throughout the offensive roster, at least, you know, Puka Williams and Khalil Herbert have shown that they're just elite running backs. You have an okay offensive line that is, you know, a lot of peaks and valleys with it. There's bumps along the road, but, and then you have the wide receivers and you have Steven Sims, Jeremiah Booker, Maven Saunders is back for the tight ends. Now, I think that with all the weapons, if a solid quarterback was there, like this is not a bad offense. And then the defensive side of the ball, they finally got the pressure dialed up to get to the quarterback, which was the big struggle that they've been having all year. I think they had five sacks going into the game yesterday, and they had five sacks in the game yesterday. So I think that that was really surprising to see was how easy they were able to get the quarterback. It felt like all day Will Greer was scrambling and running around just trying to make plays. But I think that those are kind of the two things that have shown themselves to be the weaknesses of the offensive defense. I still think, though, this team just needs a quarterback and that's it. And just to stick with the quarterback also, I think that switching off of Carter Stanley two drives into the game, there's no time to build up a rhythm with the rest of the offensive players. You know, when you're constantly changing, you know, certain guys have certain chemistry with, you know, the wide receivers, for example, Carter Stanley and Steven Sims are, I don't know if they're good friends off the football field, but they have a really good connection on the football field. And it doesn't feel like Peyton Bender necessarily has that same connection. Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you this. Hassan Defense said after the game he didn't feel like West Virginia respected them properly. Also, like, I downed a vitamin water right before we started, and my tongue went, like, totally numb. So I'm very curious to hear how this is going to hear listening back to it. Sorry if I sound a little bit weird. Um, but Hassan Defense said after the game that uh, he felt like West Virginia did not respect them, that, you know, they heard about the Rutgers factor comment from Dana Holgerson, which, by the way, like, 
What a great insult to insult both Kansas and Rutgers in one fell swoop to just be like, you suck. And also the team you beat sucks even worse. Like, ouch. Um, I Clearly they're not playing Rutgers anytime soon. But credit the KU defense for basically being like, LOL, you think we're not capable of getting interceptions? We're going to pick off your Heisman quarterback four times, basically, three credited, and ruin his Heisman campaign. Will Greer's not winning the Heisman after committing basically five turnovers against Kansas. And that's not because it's Kansas. You commit five turnovers against anyone. You know, they massaged the game late with that late touchdown. But that game was played at about a seven-point margin because Will Greer tried to make insanely poor or or insanely difficult throws that weren't there. Maybe not even difficult, just bad, ill-advised throws, throws he shouldn't have made. And I thought... Uh, that was another sign of growth. You know, I know this has been a point of, of contention all season among KU fans. I know a lot of people disagree with me on that. this, but I continue to think that that Clint Bowen has really done a, a really good job in terms of he can only install, you know, the defense the way it is. And anytime the defense goes poorly, I notice Clint Bowen gets blamed. And anytime the defense goes well, everyone's like, well, Bill Miller has installed, you know, instilled some toughness in them. It doesn't work that way. You, you, you don't praise one guy when it's good and one guy when it's bad. That, that's almost never how it works. That'd be like if the quarterbacks have a good game and you're like, well, Doug Meacham really prepared him this week. And then if they have a bad game, well, David Beatty just screwed him over this week. Like that, it's never how it works. So um, I, I continue to think Clint Bowen has done a really nice job. And when KU's secondary has been bad, like it has been the last two weeks, I think a lot of the times it's mistakes on the players and, and, you know, Hassan defense, I believe has gotten burned for four touchdowns, four passing touchdowns in his time in games this season. I think that's a big part of it. And I think he stepped up. Uh, he mentioned after the game that eyes, he was staring at the quarterback for too long and it, it caused him to get burned a couple of times where he was over helping out of his zone. Again, that's not really something that's on the coaching staff. If they're telling him what his zone is and he's just not, you know, following the rules of it. So I think for that, you've seen the KU defense get a lot better in the second half of each game when KU is, you know, when they go in and they make adjustments. Uh, that KU defense usually comes out a lot better. Um, and I, I don't think that's, I, I just think that's a credit to Clint Bowen. And, and Jesse Williams got some praise too, defensive line coach from Daniel Wise after the game. I think the two of them in particular uh, deserve a lot of responsibility for the game plan and what KU was able to do against West Virginia. So, um, again, I know that's a point of contention. I know not everyone will agree with me on that. And, I think that's great that that a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on that, but I thought this was a clear, clear case. You know, no one's going to champion the defense after you know giving up 38. But you'll you'll see in my grades, I gave one of the the grades probably alarmingly high, considering they gave up four passing touchdowns and like 300 passing yards. But uh, l- let's get into the grades right now. Um, we'll we'll start key football versus West Virginia. Let's let's start with quarterback play and Swain. You kind of just. Uh, hit on the quarterback. So why don't you, uh, why don't you continue on there? Talk about the quarterbacks a little bit. Yeah, sure. Thanks. I'll finish off kind of my quarterback thought there. And with Peyton Bender, he looked pretty good And the grade I give the quarterbacks was a D. I thought that it was just another bad overall performance by a KU quarterback plurals. Um, but I thought that Peyton Bender made some nice throws. I thought he didn't necessarily, you know, blow me away, but I was, I left that game thinking, okay, Peyton Bender, that was a, pretty okay performance. I thought he made some tough throws. I thought that Carter Stanley really looked off the pace. I'd say, I don't know if he's still sick or, you know, what all is going on, but he just didn't look like the same player he was last week. And I thought that Bender, you know, still had the interception. Carter Stanley still had the interception. You still got to cut down on the offensive turnovers. Cause you saw what happened. There was the play. I don't remember who had the interception, 
but you come back and a couple plays later, you give the ball right back. And that's the stuff that I think really needs to get worked on. Yeah, well, I'll say this. I think if KU had stuck with Carter Stanley, the offense would have been better. And I think if KU would have just gone with Peyton Bender, the offense would have been better. I think mixing them up is just the the key. You know, that's why things aren't working is because I think they continue to mix them up and, and uh, make it more difficult on both guys. I think at this point, you know what you've got in all of them. Pick one. You know, you've got three. Really, you got two who are ready or ready as they're going to be. Uh, pick one Pick one or the other. And I would say redshirt the third. But um uh, yeah, I, I gave them as a D as well. I thought Carter or uh, Peyton Bender was about a C minus. Had that pick. Uh, also took a really bad sack on I want to say a third and seven that allowed them not to to be able to go for it because he lost so many yards. Um, and I thought that was a, a brutal time. But you know Carter Stanley was bad, but he played what two and a half drives or three and a half drives or whatever. So it's hard to grade him out. His interception was on a tip ball. You know, what does he do if he comes back into the, you know, what if he comes back into the game, throws for three touchdowns? You never know. So, uh, Steven Sims also threw a pass. It was incomplete. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd give him an F by the way. I just, I, I can't see a planet where Carter Stanley starts next week because it seems very clear that David Beatty, or at least, I, I mean, David Beatty was so hesitant to praise him after his great performance that it almost seems like they begrudgingly played him, you know? I can't imagine him starting next week. I would be shocked at this point. If I'm ranking the three quarterbacks, first of all, I don't think my... If if it were me, I wouldn't play Miles Kendrick again this year. But if you've got two weeks to prepare him, wouldn't that theoretically be the time if you were going to the younger guy that you would do it? Conversely, uh, Peyton Bender just came off a a pretty solid game and, and... in practice, Peyton Bender is always going to look like the best quarterback because he's the best thrower of the three. So I expect either Miles Kendrick or Peyton Bender to start next game. It would shock me if Carter Stanley starts. Yeah, I think also kind of adding on to that, I think when you look at the rhythm of the quarterbacks, and that's something that has been talked about a lot this year, just the timing of when they've replaced the quarterbacks. I think that that is really the biggest issue is when they've done it. You know, against Central Michigan, if I – remembering this correctly, I think didn't Miles Kendrick come in for Peyton Bender immediately after the first touchdown pass? Yep. Like it's just the timing of it. That's just so bad. And I do agree with that point. I think it'd be, it'd be just hilarious if Beatty started Miles Kendrick just to say kind of, you know, uh, screw it, you know, start the third guy. I'm also interested to see if they do end up red shirting Miles Kendrick. I know Beatty said he doesn't plan on it, but things can change. And I wonder if they see something or, something happens where they go that route. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it right now. I think Miles Kendrick is either starting next game or he's redshirting. I'll throw that out there. I feel good about that. Uh, okay. They're either going to give him that chance off two weeks or he's done because he was available for this game. And, you know, I had mentioned I, I did a radio spot. I, I Every Thursday I go on with Nick Schwert. He's the guy we Facebook Live with as well. Um, and I mentioned that I was walking, you know, just to, to the press conference. Anecdotally, it's kind of like, Uh, There's a parking lot behind the football stadium, so sometimes you have to park there, and you walk to the the press conference room, and in doing so, you walk by the practice field and the football field, and if they're on the practice field, it's kind of closed up. You don't really see what's going on, but uh, they happen to be, the quarterbacks happen to be, I think it was four of them. I think uh, probably Miles Fallon was the last guy out on the field, but um, with obviously Bender, Stanley, and Kendrick, but they were going through agility drills, and he did not look limited at all, and and I kind of remarked to a couple media members I'm not sure that Miles Kendrick is actually injured. And uh, lo and behold, he was available for the game. And I I thought that was really funny and um, obviously didn't play though. All right. 
We'll move a little bit more quickly through the rest of these. I gave the offense as a whole a D plus. I thought the running backs were okay. Puka Williams, 65 yards and 12 carries. Khalil Herbert doesn't get that many carries, but again, a 31-yard touchdown run. Uh, Again, I've got no clue what he has to do to get more carries, but, you know, I feel like we say that every week. So uh, some inventive play calling or innovative play calling, uh, and I I was a fan of that. It was fun to watch, so I gave him a D plus, uh, but – Overall, it was a disappointing effort, and Steven Sims, again, was was not involved at all in the offense, and I think that's a problem. Yep, I definitely agree. I think I'd give him a, you know, A for creativity, C minus, D plus for execution. I gave them a, a D plus. Again, every week it seems like, you know, we're up here talking about what does Khalil Herbert have to do to get more carries. I mean, he's averaged 7.7 yards a carry that uh, against West Virginia, 46 yards. I don't know what he has to do. And it really did feel like the West Virginia defense, I think it was his first touch. They hit him a little extra harder. I, oh my I God. He, they went, they jumped yeah. on him. Yeah. They like piled on him. They wanted to not, not hurt him, but they wanted to make him feel it. Like that was surprising for me, but I really don't have anything else to add. I just, I would agree. Play calling was a lot better, refreshing to see, but execution just not there. Sure. I, I gave the run defense a C moving to run defense and it's because I had no opinion about it. Like they gave up some runs, but it didn't matter. Like West Virginia didn't run the ball all that well. I think they had 177 yards and 39 carries. So that's fine. It's like probably close to four and a half yards of carry, give or take. Uh, but Q didn't win or lose the game because the running, I thought it was largely irrelevant to the outcome. I had no clue what to grade it. So I just picked a C and moved on. Yeah, I gave it a D. I think that anytime you give over, give up over 150 yards of rushing, you can't, you know, that's not a passing grade, what I would say. Um, I think that also having a, that 47-yard touchdown run was big. Uh, but overall, the average 4.5 yards a carry, I, again, it was kind of just a meh day from the defensive line on the run game front. And to move along into the pass defense, I know you mentioned you have a high grade for them. I gave it a B minus. I think that Three interceptions is great, but you giving up 330 yards through the air. Granted, it was on 28 completions of 41 passes. I still don't believe that you can give it that high of a grade. Um, an 8.1 average, which I think is pretty good. And additionally, getting those interceptions, though, was huge. And for it to be Hassan Defense, too, who you mentioned earlier, has had a rough year. Like, there's no two ways about it. He's had a rough year. He's got burned against Nickel State, um, which set up their – First touchdown, I want to say. Um, got burned against Central Michigan, I believe, and same thing against Baylor. It was really refreshing to see him have a good performance and a solid performance. Yeah, yeah, the ones for him actually were. So Nichols State, I think he might have gotten burned, and then he had that hold in overtime yes. uh, regardless. And then uh, he, I'm, he played very limited minutes or, or snaps the next two games. Baylor, he overhelped on a uh, on a pass play when he was playing safety, gave up a touchdown. And then um, uh, he got burned on a double move last week against Oklahoma State. So it's been a horrible season. He's probably been Cave's worst player on the season, actually, um, until this game when he was CBS Sports uh, Defense Player of the Week. So uh, I gave him, I gave the pass defense an A minus, and the reason why is Will Greer threw four touchdowns and basically four interceptions. He got sacked five times. He also fumbled an additional time. So he should have been credited probably with five turnovers, but either way, he was credited with four turnovers to four scores. Uh, and one of those came with the game out of reach and was uh, irrelevant to the outcome. Getting those stops in the red zone to me, I mean, the KU defense did enough to where 
West Virginia, if going into the last touchdown they scored again with the game out of basically, you know, the game was over at that point, uh, they should have had 24 points. Because if Hassan defense gets that interception, they don't get a touchdown two plays later. And KU is driving to tie the game once again. And so the way I looked at it was, you know, what if KU allowed 24 points to West Virginia? And then I was like, what if KU allowed 31? You know, if KU had allowed 24 to West Virginia, I would have given an A+. Plus, you know, you allow Will Greer, you hold a Heisman quarterback to, to 24, that's an A+. Plus. 31, you give him one more touchdown, Okay, I'll, I'll drop it down to an A minus. You're right about the 332 yards, and I certainly I, I get your grade too. Um, but I just think the biggest thing is forcing four turnovers. Will Greer had three interceptions all year, and they picked off four passes basically. Again, credited with three, but the fact that they were able to do that, I thought was really impressive. And uh, I th- doing it without Mike Lee and without Ricky Thomas, uh, I, I thought was really really impressive too. So um, about as good as you could realistically ever hope for. Uh, from KU special teams against Will Greer. They did give up 38 points, but, you know, I I think as we've kind of touched on the game, it it was a closer game than that. It was a seven-point game at the end of the third quarter when Hassan Defense came up with that interception that was eventually ruled uh, inconclusive, whether or not it was a pick, Um, and it had been called an incomplete pass. Before that, the Jayhawks were driving down seven. They had a fourth and seven at midfield. I, of course, thought they should go for it, and they didn't. That was the one thing Beatty did uh, that I thought, you know, he stopped short of going full aggressive or or full aggressor or whatever. But uh, even so, I thought this was the best coach game of his career, and that includes, uh, you know, a time when they had 10 men on the field on third down, a substitution issue that forced a timeout. Uh, They had mishaps. They had play-calling issues, whatever. I still thought this was the best coach game of his career in that uh, KU really came out aggressive and went for it. And um, I I give them a lot of credit for doing that, whether or not he thought his job was on the line or anything. I give them a lot of credit for uh, playing the way they need to play, basically, to beat a team that's so much better than them in West Virginia. So uh, let's wrap it up here. Any final things to touch on with KU's season? Uh, David Beatty. Anything about the team, we're skipping our special teams grade this week. There was really only one play. It was a disastrous uh, muffed punt by Kwame Lasseter. Uh, Anything to add before we get out of here? This, for me, was a building block performance, or at least it felt like it. This is something that if KU were to go on and have a strong second half of the year, you would point to this game and say, that is the game that the switch was flipped. I don't necessarily know if they're going to be able to bounce back, but having two weeks to prepare now, for Texas Tech, I'm encouraged. I'm very interested to see what their game plan is. I'm going to ask David Beatty on the Big 12 Coaches Teleconference. I assume they still do it um, if you have a bye week, although should probably check on that before I call in at 10 in the morning only to find out he's not on there. But um, I'm going to ask him if having two weeks to prepare helps you start uh, a guy like Miles Kendrick and just see what he says. Yeah, I'm, I would be very interested to see his response to that. Because I, I think there's a, a big merit to, to redshirting him. Also, there would have been a big merit to not playing him before this point, you know, and then taking the first six or seven weeks of the year to really get him ready for that first start against Texas Tech, assuming that the quarterback play dictated it. So very interested to see what happens. Um, very interested to see where the fan base is with David Beatty, because I think there was a general consensus that this game was progress. But I think a lot of people were mad that there appears like there will not be a change uh, made. I'm going to post this if he does get fired just because it'll be um, a a conversation still on the season and and whatnot. But I don't expect that change to happen now based off what Jeff Long said. Coming into the day against West Virginia, I definitely thought it was a possibility. I thought it was a strong possibility maybe even if if that game got out of reach, kind of like you said. But um, 
I mean, I think what we've seen is is Jeff Long has taken a very measured approach to this. And look at the end of the at the end of the day, you get four years to figure out a program. You got to show signs of progress. I don't care where you are. So uh, you know, it's kind of it's down to six games for David Beatty, and I don't know what the magic number is. I don't know if there is a magic number. Uh, I don't know if there if he can do anything at this point to realistically to save his job. But we're gonna see him try. And uh, next week is a bye week, so it'll be all KU basketball Wednesday, Big Twelve Media Day. Looking forward to that for or or KU basketball media day, I should say. Um, so really looking forward to that. And uh, and yeah, so I think that's a good place to leave it off. This has been Scott Chasen and Michael Swain, Kansas.247sports.com, the fog.net podcast, and we will talk to you guys next week. We'll be right back.